beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an old tradition that when someone moves into a new house, they host a housewarming party. I'm not sure if that's something that still commonly happens. But when people first bought themselves their own home, they would invite family and friends for a housewarming party. On such occasions, you were expected to bring a gift. People who attended the party would bring all kinds of gifts to help a young couple. The idea was to provide them with the basics needed to settle in. What often, often happened that there would be some duplication of gifts. But many of the housewarming gifts were thoughtfully chosen. They were chosen to suit the new house and the styles of the new owners. They met the needs of the couple moving in to their new home. Something similar happens in our text. According to the Lord's command, the Israelites built him a house to live in while they journeyed on the way to the promised land. That house, the tabernacle, has just been completed. Our text begins by speaking about the day on which Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle. Moses anointed it and consecrated it. The tabernacle was ready for God to move in. It's on that day that the chiefs of the 12 tribes came to offer various housewarming gifts. Through them, the people of Israel presented freewill offerings to the Lord, specifically meant for the functioning of the house of God. This morning, I preach you the word of God under the following theme. The people of Israel present housewarming gifts to God. We'll consider the gifts, the givers, and the response. If you read through Exodus and Leviticus and now the first part of Numbers, you might think that Israel has already been in the wilderness for a long time. But that's not so. Coming out of Egypt, the Lord commanded Moses to bring the people to worship him at Mount Sinai. It's while there that the Lord gave Moses instructions about how to build the tabernacle. It's while they were there that the tabernacle was constructed, along with all its furnishings. By now, Israel had been camped at Mount Sinai for almost one year. Now the people of God are about ready to set off on their journey to the land of Canaan. Yet before they go, there is this housewarming party, this dedication of God's house. On that day, the chiefs of the 12 tribes came to present gifts to the Lord. They came to present gifts on behalf of the 12 tribes that they represented. Now, whenever you need to get someone a gift, the question is, what do you get for so-and-so? You want the gift to be something the person you're giving it to will like. And if you're buying a housewarming gift, you want it to fit with that couple's tastes and with the other decor that they have. For some people, it's easy to buy gifts. But for others, it's really hard. They already have everything they need or want. Can you imagine God's people trying to find appropriate gifts for the Lord? What do you give to Almighty God? He already owns everything in the universe. 
In Psalm 50, the Lord says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And yet the Lord was coming to dwell among his people in the tabernacle. And there were some things that were needed for its functioning. And so the tribal leaders brought gifts to the Lord on behalf of all God's people. Do you know what the best housewarming gifts are? They're gifts given by people who know us well enough to know what will be useful and appreciated. There's no sense giving a cheese plate with a set of knives to a person who is lactose intolerant or a corkscrew to someone who doesn't drink wine. The best gifts are those that show a personal knowledge of the recipient that are suited to his or her circumstances. The gifts brought by the chiefs of the 12 tribes showed that they understood exactly what was still needed for the tabernacle to function in the way intended among them. Our text first mentions how the chiefs of the tribes brought six wagons and 12 oxen. The people knew that they would soon be traveling on their way to the promised land. The tabernacle was built as a mobile sanctuary. Part of the Levites' task was to take it down, to transport it, and set it up again. The tabernacle's structure consisted of bases, frames, poles, and pillars. They were covered by a tent made of animal skins. A lot of this stuff was heavy and awkward to carry. And thus, the gift of, 12, of six wagons and 12 oxen was a most appropriate housewarming gift. Our text tells us that when the tribal chiefs brought these wagons and oxen before the tabernacle, the Lord commanded Moses, saying, Accept these from them. The Lord then told Moses to give them to the Levites, to each according to his service. We know the Levites were divided into three clans, the sons of Gershon, the sons of Merari, and the sons of Kohath. Yet Moses did not give each of these families two wagons and four oxen. He apportioned these gifts as they were required. The sons of Gershon were given two wagons and four oxen. The sons of Merari were given four wagons and eight oxen. The sons of Kohath were not given any wagons or oxen. On the face of it, you would say that this is an unfair distribution of gifts. It's often like that in the church today as well. We know from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that the Lord gifted different people with different gifts. Some had the gift of understanding, others a gift of healing, others a gift of prophecy, others of interpreting, others of service, others of teaching. In Corinth, some of these gifts had more status attached to them and this caused church members to be envious of each other's gifts. Yet the Lord apportions gifts to enable different people to do the tasks he gives them. It's clear in our text. The wagons and oxen God's people gave were intended to help provide a means of transport for the tabernacle. The reason the sons of Kohath were given four wagons was because they had to carry the heavy stuff. The bases, frames, poles, and pillars. The reason why the sons of Merari were given two wagons was because they had to transport the curtains and the coverings. 
The reason why the sons of Kohath were not given any wagons was because it was their task to carry the ark and the most holy things used in the tabernacle. They were specifically required to carry these precious things on their shoulders. And so they had no need for wagons and oxen. In the same way, God does not give the same gifts to all members of the church today. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11 teaches that all God's gifts come from one and the same Spirit who apportions to each person individually just as he wills. God has made you as you are. God has gifted each of you with specific talents and abilities. We have the opportunity to develop our gifts by using them and growing in them. But the reason why different gifts are given to different people is so that the church may benefit from a multitude of different gifts. Just as a body needs eyes and ears and hands and feet, so the church needs teachers and helpers and givers and those who provide encouragement and support. Besides providing carts for the transportation of the tabernacle, our text also speaks about how the chiefs of each of the tribes brought other resources for ministry at the tabernacle. We read together about how Nashon of the tribe of Judah brought his offering on the first day. The reason that number seven is the second longest chapter in the whole Bible is that it shows how the chiefs of all the different tribes brought identical offerings on the days that followed. On 12 successive days, the chief of each of the tribes brought an offering on behalf of his tribe to the Lord. It's striking to see what each of the tribal leaders brought as an offering to the Lord. Each brought a silver plate and silver basin, each full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. Each brought a gold dish full of incense, each brought animals to be sacrificed as burnt offerings, sin offerings, and peace offerings. These gifts showed that the Israelites understood the purpose of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was not a glorious building there to attract tourists. It wasn't a cultural center for the community. It was God's house a place where his people could gather to worship him. The purpose of the tabernacle was to provide a place for the Lord to dwell among his sinful people. The gifts presented would allow the priests and Levites to minister in the tabernacle. The purpose of the burnt and sin offerings was to atone for the sins of God's people. The purpose of the grain offering was to worship God and acknowledge his provision. The purpose of the incense offering was to signify the prayers of God's people going up to heaven as a sweet-smelling aroma before the Lord. The peace offerings were offered and eaten by those presenting the offering as a sign of their close fellowship with God. A portion of most of these offerings was given to the priests and the Levites to provide them with food so that they were free to minister at the tabernacle. 
And so we see that the gifts from each of the tribes were most appropriate housewarming gifts. They enabled the tabernacle to function as it should. The purpose of the tabernacle was to allow the Lord to dwell in communion with his people. The altar and the gifts foreshadowed the reconciling work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They pointed to the need for a mediator who could save us from our sins once for all. Jesus did that so we could be reconciled to God so that we can live in close communion with him. It's important to note that all the gifts listed in number seven were not part of the regular giving of God's people Israel. These were special gifts, spontaneously given. God's people and their leaders recognized what a privilege it was for the tabernacle to be consecrated so the Lord could come down and dwell among them. They brought gifts that would enable the priests and Levites to serve God in the work of the tabernacle. They made it possible for the ministry of reconciliation to function in Israel. Similarly, beloved, we give gifts in support of the ministry of the gospel. Do you understand why we do that? In Lord's Day 38, our catechism summarizes what God requires of us in the fourth commandment. The first part of the answer says that the ministry of the gospel and the schools may be maintained. When our catechism speaks about the ministry of the gospel, it speaks about the functioning of our church services. We need to make sure that the resources are available so that the gospel can be preached each Sunday. That involves financially supporting our pastors and making sure we have a place where we can gather to worship God. But it involves more than that. It involves providing so that the gospel may go out through mission and evangelism. It involves providing for a seminary so that as churches we may have a steady supply of pastors and missionaries. So why is the ministry of the gospel important? Well, because without it, we would die. Just as food is necessary for physical life, so God's word is necessary for our spiritual life. It's amazing to see what happens to those who drift away from the church and its ministry. Other things take over their lives. Their priorities shift. The service of God loses importance to them. They begin to live in ways that even a few years earlier they would have condemned as being sinful. And it all happens really fast. You see, beloved, faith needs to be nurtured. We need to worship the Lord. We need to hear the gospel preached. We need to read the Bible and meditate on God's grace towards us. The ministry of the gospel enables us to live our lives in communion with God. And that's why it requires our support. This morning we're considering how the people of Israel brought housewarming gifts to God. In our first point we focused on the gifts given. In our second point we'll consider the givers. 
Our text goes into great detail to show the contributions of the various tribes in support to the ministry at the tabernacle. We only read about the gift given by the chief of the tribe of Judah on the first day. But in similar fashion, each of the tribal leaders presented their gifts to the Lord on successive days. Who gave it? And precisely what they gave is repeated 11 more times. So why is this recorded in the Bible in such a manner? Why not just say that all the other tribes brought brought exactly the same gifts? Can you imagine the scribes copying the Bible by hand on parchment and thinking the exact same thing? Why so much repetition? It's because the Lord wants to give It's because the Lord wants the giving of his people at the dedication of the tabernacle to be recorded for future generations. Please understand, beloved, that nowhere in our text is there a command for Israel to bring these housewarming gifts to the Lord. Yet God's people spontaneously rose up and provided for the ministry of the tabernacle. They voluntarily gave because they saw there was a need. That is a remarkable thing, especially if we consider who the Israelites were. After the Pharaoh whom Joseph served died, the new king of of Egypt enslaved the Israelites. They had been enslaved for about 400 years. Being a slave does something to the human psyche. A slave does as he or she is told. A slave is conditioned to obey. Disobedience is punished often harshly. A slave learns not to think for himself. Taking the initiative is not something most masters appreciate. And when given freedom, most slaves don't know how to handle it. A modern day example of this would be what has happened in communist Russia. Prior to the imposition of communism, Russians owned private property. At that time, a significant part of the labor force was engaged in farming. People who took the initiative did well. Yet the government imposed collectivism. Everyone was supposed to share equally in the goods produced together. But those in leadership took an unequal share. Productivity fell dramatically. Under communism, Russia became a failed state. When so-called democracy came, the people no longer had the initiative or the ability to be productive. Entrepreneurship had been beaten out of them. Well, for many generations, God's people Israel not only served as slaves, but also lived as slaves. One of the things about slavery is that you don't have much. Most slaves lived a subsistence lifestyle. They had enough to survive, but not much extra. When you've been financially tight for a long time and suddenly get more, 
It's hard to let go of it. Those living in poverty by nature tend to hoard the few possessions they have. They're not inclined to give them away. We know that when Israel departed from Egypt, they had their own flocks and herds. We know that after the final plague, they plundered the Egyptians of gold and silver and jewelry and clothing. Yet they did not have much. And they were living in an inhospitable desert. Yet these former slaves, these relatively speaking poor people, spontaneously arose to give their housewarming gifts to the Lord. And please understand that this was not the first time they gave of their possessions. The first time they did so was in foolishness and sin, when they gave Aaron their gold rings and ornaments to make a golden calf. The second time they gave was in Exodus 35 for the making of the tabernacle. They gave generously of their gold, silver, bronze, gemstones, skins, and expensive cloth. And now, without a command from the Lord, they freely gave what was needed for the ministry of the tabernacle. The Lord, through his Spirit, took care to ensure that this generous given by his people was recorded for future generations. God was pleased with the gifts his people brought for the work of his kingdom. By repetition, the Lord is showing us his delight in the sacrifices made by his people. The Lord gives due recognition to each tribe. No gift is overlooked. They're all listed. Thus God honored the gracious gift given by the people whom he had redeemed from slavery. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul speaks to the church of Corinth about the willingness of the church of Macedonia to support the needy saints in Jerusalem. Despite their poverty, they abounded in liberality. They gave more than they could afford. Likewise, Paul urged the Corinthians to be faithful in collecting for their needy brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. To encourage them in giving, Paul reminded them of the grace of Christ. Though he was rich, Yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. That's our encouragement today as well. It is out of thankfulness to our Savior that we are to provide for the ministry of the gospel and the support of those in need. Yeah, beloved, there's one thing from 2 Corinthians 9 that needs to be highlighted. It's not just that we should give. It's about how we are to give. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, Paul commands, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Israel presented its housewarming gifts at the dedication of the tabernacle voluntarily. They did so not just because they were needed, but because they wanted to give back to God. And the Lord continued to work in us also by His Spirit, so that we learn to be cheerful givers.
It brings us to our final point, the response. Our text does not end with the presentation of various gifts and offerings to the Lord. Verse 89 says, And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. This is a really important verse in number 7. It shows what happened at the consecration of the tabernacle. The house of God was not just prepared for him. God moved in. The Lord came and he dwelt among his people. The housewarming party is over. The tabernacle has been dedicated. The Lord moved into his earthly home in the midst of his people. The sacrifices that atone for the people's sins have been brought. They have been reconciled in their relationship with the Lord. So now God communicates with his chosen people. Today we would say, the giving of God's people makes possible the ministry of God's word. Our text shows that Moses went into the tabernacle to speak to God. Perhaps he wanted to talk about the upcoming journey from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land, to get some details about their travel. But something significant happens. Before Moses can talk, he must listen. It's an important lesson for us as well. Many of us, beloved, pray to the Lord regularly. But we're not always as consistent in reading our Bibles. Bible reading is really important. We need to listen to the voice of God, to consider his marvelous works. That helps us to praise and adore him and to pray to him in accordance with his promises. Our text emphasizes that when Moses went into the tabernacle, he heard the voice speaking to him. Moses did not see God, but clearly it's the Lord who addresses him. Our text put emphasis on God's voice. God is a God who wants to be heard. His word is all important. Here's another way in which our text foreshadows the coming of the Messiah. In John's gospel, Jesus is called the word. He is the word made flesh. There's nothing more important that we hear him. He's the one that we're called to listen to. And finally, our text tells us where the voice Moses heard comes from. It came from what's called the mercy seat of the ark. In the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle where the most holy place was, There was only one item of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. The top of the Ark was covered with pure gold, and above it were two cherubim, two angels with outstretched wings. That was the throne of God on earth. It's called the mercy seat, because it's only out of his mercy and grace that God was willing to dwell among his sinful people. 
You know, the fact that God dwelt there, that he spoke to his people from there, shows that Israel has been reconciled to the Lord, that he was pleased to live in communion with them. Do you see the connection between all Israel's housewarming gifts and the last verse of number 7? God's people have come with generous gifts to dedicate the tabernacle. They brought all that was needed for the sacrifices on the altar. They provided the utensils and the sacrifices and the offerings. All so that God might live among them and might speak to them from the mercy seat. The gifts of God's people made the ministry of the tabernacle possible. All of this has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is his great sacrifice of his body and blood on the cross that has reconciled us with God. Because of his ultimate sacrifice, we may share in the grace of the gospel. And yet even today, the ongoing ministry of the gospel depends on the gifts of God's people. Beloved, God is pleased with the gifts we bring. It's through them that his voice is heard, not only in our midst, but also through the world. May God give us generous hearts for the advancement of his kingdom so that many may learn to hear his voice. May our gifts continue to contribute to the glorification of his name throughout the earth. Amen. In response to the gospel message, we're going to sing together from Psalm 56, stanzas 4 and 5. We'll do that standing.